That no, wait, now I got a lot of crotch. <laughs> you do not have a lot of crotch. Well, you have a lot of the space. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But I don't know about filler. Anyway, look, there's my foot. There's your foot. Whoa! Welcome to Bonehead. This is episode part two of our interview with Jeff. Episode part two. Episode part two. (laughs) Episode part two with the magnificent, with the icon, with the iconoclast Jeff Burr. Yes, it is. And the only unfortunate thing for Jeff. As this episode starts off with a lot of your crotch. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. Well, now it's now my knees. Yeah. Well, if you're watching and if you're listening to and it, you're not getting any chance crotch if, at if all. You, if you zoom in, like right here, so it looks like a Smurf's butt crack. Yeah. On you, yeah. If you, that, how do you know what a Smurf's butt looks like? Fantasy porn. That's sick. <laughs> Why don't you masturbate to? Hey, the, ever since Katy Perry, to real <laughs> things like Jessica Rabbit. Anyway, moving right along. In this part, Jeff's going to tell us some magnificent stories about some movies. Yes. <laughs> That's a terrible end. Yeah. But if you listen to the last one, it just gets better. Mm-hmm. Jeff was amazing. He spent over two hours with us, and we wanted to break it up over two episodes. So We actually talked to him long enough for his phone to die. That's true. That's true. <laughs> it's actually what killed the show. Yeah, it was the phone. That, and he was bored. With yeah. <laughs> Let's just be honest. That's a lot. That's a lot to take, take in. us us yeah and all this crotch <laughs> anyway and if people are listening they have no idea what we're talking about right no. now only you people on the youtubes are being punished for some reason so thank you so much all to jeff of you. this is episode part two of jeff burr <laughs> have a bit of a cold enjoy also welcome to bonehead ah welcome to bonehead and welcome back jeff burr not welcome back, Cotter. Screw that show. <laughs> oh, it's great. I'm sorry. It's just funny. That's a good story. Who's another one? Oh, no, but then, 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 then I, I, I sat next to him at a screening of a short film by Mike Williamson, which is a good, good little movie that Mike Williamson had uh, directed. That Mike, and Mike Williamson was his uh, assistant editor on the Masters of Horror. Okay. Yes. And. So I was at a screening for the Mike Williamson thing, and Joe Dante sat next to me. And I said, oh, Joe, Mr. Dante, or whatever I said. And I'm Jeff Furr. I just want to say oh, I, I, I love your work. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, thank you. And that was it. <laughs> so uh, I, I've never been able to engage him in conversation, which, I mean, which I, I, I mean, I have a lot of similar interests, and I could talk to him for hours, I'm sure. But but, uh, but I love him. I still love him. And, and, and I wish the heck he will do another big move um, so at some point. Okay. You know, I mean, really, he's completely been screwed over by the industry. Yeah. Um, and, I'm sure, and I'm sure there's more than what I know, but but, uh, oh, but a guy with that talent should be uh, making, still making big movies. Okay. And he hasn't made a big movie, a, a movie with a real budget since Small Soldiers, I think. You know? uh, but no, I think maybe Looney Tunes. He did that Looney Tunes back in. No, action. no, no. You're right. No, you're right. No, Looney Tunes back in action. That's yep. 2004. Yeah, exactly. You're right. You're right about that. So, so, so anyway, so anyway, but that's that's my joke. <laughs> but I mean, like Gordon Hessler, I I I I wrote a little paper about him for a, a film class, and uh, I called him up to inter to can I do an interview with you? And he was incredibly gracious and. Uh, I got to know him a little bit, and um, and he was—it was just a 
really supportive and 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 Peter Hunt who is a, a filmmaker that did, did edited a lot of the James Bond movies and directed okay. Honor Majesties um was incredibly supportive uh throughout the years for me too and yeah. and it's just I always felt uh, and mistakenly and so anybody listening that's a, a a filmmaker that wants to move on and be, do bigger stuff don't feel I always felt that well gee am I am I wasting their time or am I imposing on them by talking to them? And I really kind of felt that. And, 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 and nothing could be further from the truth, but I always kind of felt that. And that kind of prevented me from, you know, moving forward in, in, in certain way, like with Peter Hunt. I mean, I, I mean, I could have done more stuff with him and, and, uh, and, and got to know him. I got to know him pretty well, but I, I could have got to know him better if I'd been a little more aggressive and not aggressive like a, you know, like green, but just, <laughs> just take, take, you know, take a, you know, a little bit, but see what you guys are doing with podcasts, that, that's a wonderful thing. And then those didn't exist in in my era, uh, my initial era. So, uh, but that's a, that's a great, you get, you would get to know a filmmaker by doing a podcast and then having a relationship, et cetera, you know? Yeah. So that's a, it's a, a great, it's a great icebreaker, I guess is what I'm saying. It, it has been, it has been fantastic. I wish more people felt like you did. But also, um, basically, podcasts are the fanzines of the 21st century. You know, you know what I mean. The fan magazine. Sure, sure. Oh, well, exactly. Sure. Uh, but I. And it's, go ahead. And it's it, no, it's like it's like a podcast potentially could be like a fanzine uh-huh. uh, would have been published, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So I want to talk to you about. I'm going to read off a list here of, of some of the fantastic actors you've worked with over the years. Uh, I'm going to start with Andy Robinson, Andrew Robinson, whom we all love. Uh, David Warner. I can't, I just, David. Oh, love it. Love it. Yep. And, and, yeah. I love Andy. Andy, Andy I, I feel there's unfinished business between Andy and myself. I mean, I really? feel, yes. Uh, because there, there was a, I cannot tell you the story. And I, I've, I've well, David, I, Jeff, <laughs> those are the stories we No, the point being, I can't, I can't tell you the story because I didn't, I did not tell it on the uh, commentary on Pumpkinhead Two, and, and and not that it's not that it's, it's nothing against Andy at all. It's, right. it's just an incident that happened, and um, so I, I can't. I, if I didn't say it there, I can't say it here. And, and and but one day I guess I'll save it for my book or something. But but uh, but anyway, but. but for me, again, it's kind of the Richard Lynch thing where I, I I offered him something that was beneath his talent on some level, uh-huh. and I don't I don't mean I don't mean that. And he he didn't look at it that way or anything. It's not that's not the issue. But but Andy is such a talented guy, yeah. that, and and I and I knew him before I did the movie. And and his wife Irene is a wonderful and she was very supportive of me and, and Courtney too. Courtney knew Irene and Andy before I did. And, um, and, and so, so I, I was an admirer of Andy before I did Pumpkinhead too. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't feel I served him as well as I could have in that film. And, um, and, I, and that's, that's why I mean, I think I want to work with him again in a, in a different capacity, um, or different, different, uh, uh, a different kind of film, right? And uh, and 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 he's he's had an amazing career after 
the nineties because he ended up teaching at USC. Uh, he was the, he was the uh, head of the Master of Fine Arts acting program, and then okay. then he spends he spends a lot of time. Uh, I think he spends like two thirds of the year for like the last fifteen years uh, in uh, France. Uh-huh. So uh, so I've not I've not seen Andy in many years, um, but but I love him and uh, just just a wonderful actor. And 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 again, it's kind of like a Richard Lynch thing where there's so many levels of Andy Robinson that haven't been tapped by film, you know, by, by most of the films that he's done, you know. Yeah. So Jeff, so, I can... look, look at him in Char- Charlie Varick. I mean, I mean, everyone says Dirty Harry, of course, we know that. But no. look at him in Charlie Varick. You know, I mean, it's, it's a different kind of performance and. And, and the drowning pool. I mean, it's just, some of the stuff he's done. It's just it's, it's wonderful. And then Liberace. And, and it's so uh, funny you bring that up. I had never seen Charlie Varick with Walter Matthau. That's, is that directed by Don Siegel as well? It's, oh, absolutely. Last of the Independence. Yes, yeah. exactly. I, I hadn't seen yeah. that until two years ago, too. I don't know if I was on a kick of just catching some great movies. But anyway, uh, Chad has a question. Go ahead, Chad. So, Jeff, since we were talking about Pumpkinhead 2, and we're, you know, you had the great Andrew Robinson in that movie. But I gotta ask, how the hell did you get Roger Clinton in that movie? Well, no, no, not that I got him. He was he was gotten for me. Oh, okay. Um, okay. What happened? What happened was uh, Brad Kerboy, who owned the company that made the movie, yeah, uh, was a big supporter of the Democratic uh, Party in California, and he made it kind of his mission at that time because Clinton had been elected in '92. This was in '93. Uh, right. He made it kind of—he made it kind of his mission to uh, make Roger Clinton some kind of, uh, you know, uh, to put him in as many things as he could to, to help his music, to help his acting. And and Roger, what I will say this—he was—he was incredibly cool to work with, and uh, no airs at all, no—I uh, mean, no attitude. Uh, he was there to do the work, and he loved Andy Robinson because he was a big fan of Dirty Harry. Uh, so he was like so happy to see Andy, and uh, so so I, I can't say anything but good things about about working with Roger Clint. Yeah, I just uh, I mean, was what, was he an actor? No, well, of course not. <laughs> no, and, just... and the problem the problem with the scenes that that Roger was in, he was surrounded by other non actors <laughs> uh, except Andy. You know, so it was it was a. Uh, uh, th- th- that's one of one of my worst days as a professional filmmaker in <laughs> shooting those scenes. It was, it was just, it was, it was just. I knew it, you knew because of Brad, you knew they would be in the movie no matter what. <laughs> you know, so there's no cutting cutting them out. So you would shoot, try to shoot, and it was like a ten page day, which is which is a big day for. Oh man, that's a huge day. And um, and and I, you try to make as much coverage as you can to cut around stuff, and and it was just, and Andy was getting frustrated, and, and it was it was just it was not a good. Uh, not, my memory of that day was not good because there was like guys like there was it was a parade of of favors. Uh, there was uh, Ron Rice who who owned Hawaiian Tropic, uh, who late <laughs> who, who later you know was in uh, Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you know, they had a big Hawaiian tropic and that. Uh, then, there, then there was Bob Harvey, who 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 was like the uh, the 
manager of Panavision. Uh, so, so we've got great deals on the equipment, uh, <laughs> you know, to be in the movie. So it was like a parade of non-actors doing this, these scenes that made no friggin' sense. And it just, I, as bad as Andy Robinson felt on camera, I, I was cringing and, uh, my, my gut was roiling off camera. Trust me, <laughs> looking through the lens. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was that. But that's why it happened. It was, it was totally Brad Travoy's uh, edict that uh, Roger was going to be in the movie, and uh, and then that was going to be his part. And then then he later composed a uh, a song for the end credits, which which we had a better song for the end credits that was written by the gaffer. Then <laughs> <laughs> it, it was like this, this uh, like kind of a uh, a Stax kind of. Uh, R and B, big big horn thing, uh, and it was hilarious. So we got to use a little bit of it towards the end of the credits, uh, the, the end credits, and uh, and I wish that had been the total end credits because it was it was a great song. Um, the, 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 and and the, the refrain of it was something like "You don't want to mess with Pumpkinhead" or something like that. It was it was it was, it was but it, the song itself was great production. And um, but Roger's song came first, and we kind of mailed it into the the second song in the end credits. But uh, but that's how stuff works. And 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 growing up as a filmmaker, yeah, uh, amateur filmmaker, you never think of that kind of stuff because you 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 you're working. This is I'm making the movie that I want to make, and this is how I want to make it. And in in certain professional filmmaking. Um, sometimes there are these, these crazy things that happen, especially on low budget filmmaking, uh, that, that you like, why the fuck is this here? Well, here's why you know, there, there's, there's always a reason, you know, there's always a reason why, why some stuff is, is some, some, why is that there? Well, you know, I, I can tell you why because of that. Uh, there's usually a reason why, like, the old what WTF scenes are there. Uh, that's that's uh, a lot of the reasons. It's, it's some producer, executive producer, whatever you know uh, issues. Do you what is the most bizarre thing? Because you've done a lot of low budget films, and and by the way, Richard, I remember this specifically when you all were talking. Richard Lynch was giving you a compliment about how efficient you were, and I I'm curious, what's the craziest batshit thing a, a producer's asked you to do? Man, I, I have to think about that because that's it's uh, a long list. I'm sure. I, I mean, it is a long list. It is probably a long list. Because, like um, I said, you're you're working with low budgets. You and you're right. You have to make deals with people to get things done. And and uh, I was just curious. About no, that. yeah, and, and, and stuff in Romania. There was a lot of stuff that happened, and you know, just crazy stuff. But but because it was like in the Romanian movies I did, for the most part, it was a Kusher Lock, which was a fairly big. TV movie company, and they did some features. Uh, Peter Locke, who produced um, Hills Have Eyes and uh -huh. uh, various other films, um, he, he, was, he, was, he was a very strange guy to deal with. But, but I mean, oh, an okay guy. I, I, I would always ask him about Hills Have Eyes. You know, he always loved that. But, yeah. um, but, but, but he, with those movies, Peter Locke would give a certain amount of money to Charlie Band. Yeah. To then to then give to Romania the the Charlie Band figure in Romania to make the movie. So P 
Peter Locke says he gave, let's say, it's, it's never this, but let's say it was arbitrarily a million dollars. Yep. Peter Locke says, I've got a million dollars. So it's a million dollar movie. But mm-hmm. Peter Locke gives Charlie Band 700000 yep. let's say. And then Charlie Band gives Vlad in Romania 300000 Yep. <laughs> so so I'm making a $300,000 movie that Peter Locke thinks is it should be at least an $800,000 movie. Wow. You know, so so he, he, it was always a, a big thing of like, well, why didn't you do this? Or why did you do this? Or why, why does this look cheap? Or why did it... Like, if you were there, I could tell you, man, because there was like, I mean, I mean we, we would shut down days because there was no film star, for right. example, I mean, we, which, which is unheard of in America. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you would, you would, there would always be some place you could get 35 millimeter film. And what it was in, in Romania was there were places to get 35 millimeter film, but it was, it was run by this guy, Claude Panescu, who if he didn't think everything was going, if he wasn't getting the money that he thought he would get, he would just shut the, the movie down. <laughs> so, so it was like, so we, we, but you would never get those days back. So let's say if it was a 20 day schedule and he did that three days, you would be a 17 day schedule. Yeah. And, and that, that's the kind of stuff you have to deal with. And, and, and there was no getting around it, you know, because also I would, I would the first time it happened, the first time I was there, I would send back faxes. Uh, to America saying, do you realize what's going on? Here's what's going on, this and that. Turns out, Vlad had a deal with uh, the hotel to whatever I would fax to America, they would immediately fax to him. Huh. <laughs> so he he was reading these faxes. So he grew to like, you're like, you bastard, you're you're telling America all this stuff. Like, How do you know I'm telling America all this stuff? And, and it was like the KGB or something, you know, it was like, that kind of mentality. And, and uh, so th- there was nothing back in like 96, 97, there was nothing you could send to America that he would know. Right. So it was a, it was a very strange. Well, uh, Jeff, you've uh, proven situation. my point that there's never anybody named Vlad doing anything nice ever. <laughs> never trust somebody named Vlad. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. The guy named Vlad shows up. You got to treat him with a little, uh, you know. because they're going to impale somebody. You better be wearing Kevlar. Yeah, no. So uh, James and I were lucky enough to meet the writer Peter David. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Well, no, here's the thing. I've directed two movies written by Peter David, co-written by Peter David. I've never met him. Okay. And, 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 and I'll be honest, at the time, I didn't know who the fuck he was. <laughs> That's okay. So we met Peter David, and Peter David, this is a long time ago. Uh, actually, this is Madison, Wisconsin, James. We, we, yeah. we actually got to meet Harlan Ellison at the same place. And uh, oh, oh, man, awesome. Uh, right. I would love to, I've never met him. Love to have met him. Well, we have a oh, great man. Harlan Ellison story that we'll tell you after this that our viewers and listeners have heard before. But if you want to hear it afterwards, we'll, we'll entertain Oh, oh gosh, yeah. Uh, but what I was going to say is Peter David was like, oh, you got to tell us a Charlie Band story because we've we've never met Charlie, but we've heard so many stories. And I, out of the three of us, I'm I'm a huge fan of Charlie Band's films, such as the pump, uh, the Puppet Masters four and five, which you have done. So. Yeah. So we. He, oh, you don't say, you don't say that. <laughs> but you could say Peter David wrote Oblivion, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. he did. Oblivion two, right. 
but that's okay. What I wanted to tell, what I wanted to say was we always ask people who have worked at Full Moon, tell us your best Charlie Band story. And we always say Peter David told us once that he was the only guy in Hollywood that Pete, that Charlie Band didn't owe money to. I told yeah, Courtney, yeah. Sure, there you go. That's funny. Told Courtney that story. And Courtney said, you know, honestly, I can't say anything bad. He, I don't, he, I don't think he owes me money either. <laughs> I bet well, you, you know, have a Okay, I would say, you know what? I can't say what Courtney and Peter said. I, bet I cannot you. say that. Yep. <laughs> so do you because, have because, a, yeah, it's it's uh, I, I, it's uh, I mean very but 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 here the, the the very sobering thing to me is and I'm pretty sure that it's true. Yeah. It is true. It is true. And now I'm thinking about it. Except if you want to count TV, which doesn't count. Uh-huh. Uh, P, uh, Charlie Band is the only producer that's hired me more than once. Right, right. Which I mean, that's that's horrifying to think about. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying he wasn't a wonderful experience working with him because we know about the money that Paramount was giving. So we we were we we know about a little bit of what you were talking about. The you know the Paramount was giving them money to make these movies, and we're getting pissed about well, where where did the money go? No, that that that's back in the, the the yeah the Paramount Full Moon days. I was talking about the Kusher Lock Full Moon days, which yeah. were the Right, the direct after effect of that, yeah. but uh, but even then, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, the, the the one of the main things I have about uh, bitches I have about Charlie. <laughs> I mean, he, look, he, I mean, he hired me and he called me out, but whatever. He hired me more than once. But um, I was the first meeting with Charlie in '93 um, was okay. Uh, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you. Um, you're going to make four movies uh-huh. for me. And this did it in, 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 in like in the first seven months of, of 93, mm-hmm. you're going to make four movies for me and I'm going to pay you 25,000 each. Mm-hmm. So you'll make a hundred thousand, but you won't make a hundred thousand because I need you right away to make puppet master four and five, which because the, it's so quick, uh, consider that one movie so you'll make 25,000 from that then oblivion one and two you'll make 50,000 so it'll be $75,000 and then you'll you'll go to Romania to make this western yeah and I love I love westerns I go man that that sounds that sounds like a good a really good thing and it's, it's a short time commitment you know for film it's a short time commitment right and so okay great so I signed that contract uh, about halfway through Pumbester 4 and 5, I get a phone call saying, somebody comes to me on the set and says, oh, uh, Charlie's on the phone with, for you right now. I go, what? I'm, I'm making a fucking movie. Uh, no, he needs to talk to you right now. So I go to the pay phone or whatever, whatever it is at the time, and, um, and, and Charlie's on the phone. You know, I just watched The Rushes. Of, uh, of your puppet master stuff. And you know what? You're too good for Oblivion 1 and 2. You're just too good for it. So <laughs> I, 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 want, I want you to do, you know, I think I'm, I'm switching you to Dark Angel. <laughs> what, what do you mean you're switching me to Dark Angel? I, I, dark, what the fuck is Dark Angel, number one? Number two, I want to do Oblivion because it's a Western. Yeah. 
Uh, well, no, 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 you can't do Oblivion. No, you just can't do Oblivion. It's going to be Dark Angel. Click. <laughs> yeah, and I'm directing a movie. So, so I'm going back to direct the movie. So ultimately, it comes down to Dark Angel. And it's like, Dark Angel, I meet Matthew Bright, who's the screenwriter, and he's, he's an angry guy. And, and uh, I'm going, well, I mean, there's, there's good stuff in it, but there's, there's not so good stuff in it. Let's, let's rewrite it. What, rewrite? What, what are you talking about rewriting? Rewriting? What are you talking about? The script is the script. You shoot the script. And this is a screenwriter telling me this. So it's like, huh? What? And so it, Dark Angel then gets delayed, and, and so it, it falls apart at that time. Um, and then Linda Hassani ends up directing it. But, 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 but that, that's how it all worked out. It's like, forget the contract. You know, forget forget what he said. Yep. Uh, that that's what. And 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 let me be very clear. And and Sam Irvin, who did direct Oblivion One and Two, uh, did a great job and and, mm-hmm. and made a movie that I would I would not have made. Uh, that doesn't mean my movie would have been better, but uh-huh. um, but he did a great job on it. And he had nothing to do with Charlie saying what he said to me. I don't know what possessed Charlie. I don't know. Anyway. That, so, so that's one of the things that it's, it's one of many things that irritates me about Charlie Pan. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we didn't mean to bring up. Sir. But, 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 but that, but that, but that said, I mean, uh, the good there, there are positive things about Charlie Band too. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just, I would never, I mean, you never say never in Hollywood, but in this case, I think I can absolutely say, I, I, I'm, I'm very positive that I will never work for him again. So, what were some of his good traits? Then he gets movies made. I mean, I mean, I mean, and 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 he and and the good thing is he hired. He always would pay his cinematographers. So he he always had like Mac Alberg or Adolfo Bartoli or those kind of people uh, shooting his movies because he felt that that that's where I should put the money, which you see somewhat right about that and 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 i got to work with dave allen who had made a movie as a kid as a student kind of as a young adult i'm sure you know the movie uh equinox which i, I love that movie and I, I saw that in a theater with my brother uh when i was like eight years old mm-hmm. and uh so, so it, was a, it was a real honor to work with uh, dave allen on on public master four five and and we which were which were some of the last movies that he did as an as an animator for Full Moon and then he did uh Primeval's directing it and uh I think it was the last movie he did. Yeah. James Go, you got a question. I, well I, I just wanted to ask a, a question about the difference in so talking about Full Moon and, and working there a little bit. When you look at a movie like Eddie Presley, what was it like when you're directing something that is made off of it was Dwayne Whitaker's one man show before it was a film. So what right, is and, that? And, we, and we we had and, and I worked with Dwayne on the script and and it was like and, and that was completely it was completely my project. You know, it was like a there was no one that no no one else to answer to or to my brother produced it with Tom Denoff, a guy guy from Texas. We raised the money for it. So that was a that was like a that was literally night and day. I mean, I mean, there was no, there was no, there's no, diff, there's no comparison between 
an independent movie like Eddie Presley and let's say Puppet Master Four and Five or a Full Moon movie. But um, you get, you get there with, and, and there's a lot of downsides to it because it's like, you know, you have to make sure that you make the movie in the, with the money allotted or more or less. I mean, if you to raise a little more money to to, to finish it, but it's like uh, the freedom and the uh, expression was much more. Um, with 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 easier that that that's what that's that's my sweet spot is like lower budget totally independent movies that I can control quote unquote you know right. well, and with that you had uh, i mean a, a a from cameos and above you had a great cast you, Roscoe oh, yeah. Brown oh, well, for and, sure for sure and, and all of that so i was just, i wanted to ask a question about that because i think that I think the last time that it was released on DVD, and correct me if I'm wrong, was 2004. Um, yes, that's exactly it. And, ho and hopefully, fingers crossed, we're, we're getting a Blu-ray out of it on uh, 2020. Oh, good. Yeah. That's actually what I was going to allude to. Can I can I expect to see this uh, in a uh, a because you did a two-disc special edition when it came out on DVD? But yeah, and it, it, yes, and it, it, there'll be that and more for the for the Blu-ray. Uh, it's, it's, it's just it's just it just now it, it's just the transfer process for can we shot in 60 millimeter and uh, so, so we probably have to go off the negative and which which is a long long process but uh, um, fingers crossed hopefully we can get it out on blu-ray because, because it's, the one thing about that movie in spite of, of several people's uh, attempts to uh, get it out it's a it's an unknown movie, you know. It, 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 basically, it's an unknown movie, and mm -hmm. um, which 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 it, it did okay in certain festivals. I mean, it played festivals, and it was one of the first movies bought by the Sundance Channel, that kind of thing. But but it was like very early in the Sundance Channel's uh, penetration in the market, so not that many people saw it. Um, and it's a movie I'm very I'm very proud of, uh, and, uh, and and I want more people to see. You know, I mean that's the main thing. Well, I think just with the 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 genre, I guess, kind of actors in it, you have cameos from Quentin Tarantino and Bruce Campbell. Uh, but which I, I I I met Quentin uh, maybe a year and a half year something like it, maybe a year before we did the movie, and you know it's a kind of either friendly acquaintances or friends. And see, we see each other occasionally, and and um, I met him at a screening. The, the, I, I vividly remember this. Courtney and I, we were at a screening of Bill Lustig's Maniac Cop Two at the director's. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I think it was probably 1990, and um, and I, I, I guess Bill Lustig introduced us, and Quinn goes. Jeff Hart, wait a minute. You're the guy who made the offspring, right? <laughs> and, you know, and it's like at that time nobody knew the fucking offspring, you know? Right. And um so uh so it, 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 anyway, it was great. He had a manager that ended up being friends of Courtney and, and Courtney's manager and, and that friend of mine, Catherine James, and this guy Craig Hammond and all these people he was hanging out with that we got to know and um so 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 that's how that happened, and uh, and it, and I'll say this: it was the I remember Quentin. The one thing I do remember about him at that time 
uh, he came up to me, he goes, and it was very serious about it. And he came up to me, he goes, you realize this is the first set I've been on since Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> so like, <laughs> like I, I, I think was, Reservoir Dogs had not come out yet. Yeah. And it, it was like, it was like in the process of being sold either to New Line or to uh, Live or Artisan or whatever and, and Miramax. So, uh, so anyway, so, so this would have been February of 92. So it, it, I guess it just play, it played Sundance, but it, they were in the process of, uh, uh, of, of, of placing it, you know, theatrically. Right. And anyway, we came to a very very solemn, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, you realize the first set I've been on since the Reservoir Dog. <laughs> I go, no, I didn't know that, but that's great. And anyway, so, so, so I can't say I'm a friend of Quentin's, but but I'm, uh, I would say if I saw him, hopefully if I saw him right now, he would he would be happy to see me and, and we, we'd have a great talk. Well, I, while you're mentioning and, that. And, and, Bruce, and Bruce Campbell the same way. and Because and, uh, uh, Bruce actually... I knew Sam a little bit, Sam Raimi, and because uh, Sam had seen my first movie, and uh, we've had meetings with him and Rob Tappert uh-huh. at Universal, um, just, just to get to know him, kind of thing. And I, I've been a big fan of Sam's, and uh, and so I'd asked him to do this, and he said, "Oh yeah, I'd love to," because Ted was in the movie, uh-huh. and then there was some. I think they went over on the John Landis vampire movie. Innocent Blood. Yes, and I'm forgetting the title, Innocent Blood. Yeah. And uh, so so, so he couldn't, so he was stuck in Pittsburgh or wherever, and so he got Bruce to do it. And I felt so bad. I'd met Bruce before and stuff, but I felt so bad because it was Bruce's anniversary. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, and he, he brought his wife there, and they, they had a cool, like, little picnic on the lawn there. So that that was cool, <laughs> but I felt, I mean, oh man, Bruce! If 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 you need to know Bruce's bona fides as a independent film supporter, uh, he did he did that that movie on, on his anniversary. That's awesome. Yeah, Sam, and brought his wife. No, no, no offense. Uh, Sam Raimi was my favorite director growing up, and still kind of really. Is. No, no, not offense at all. No, no and offense at is, all. I mean, and Sam I, is just a he's a. I mean, just a, I, and, and the funny thing about Sam, I feel that 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 you've only scratched the surface of it, man. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's I like I think so too. You know? I don't think he's ever got the shot. I think if you look in a movie, uh, but, it's, but no, but I would say I would say I would be a little more harsh. I would say he hasn't taken the shot. No, yeah. he he's he's got enough clout where he could do it. You yeah. know what I mean? He's got enough clout where he could do it. I, I don't know what it is. But uh, I, I want to see it when, when he does it. You I, I tell you, another reason why I hate Sam Raimi is that's the reason I've been stuck with these two assholes for over 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> college. No, no, I would say Sam Raimi has influenced more like independent horror filmmakers than anyone from his generation. There's no you argument know, for there. Sure. Yeah, no, no, for sure. For sure. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I would say probably ultimately even more than like a Robert Rodriguez or something like that. Yeah, uh, Evil Dead is probably was influenced by Sam Raimi. If you look from. Dustin, oh, sure. For sure. No, for sure. For sure. Out of the fuck um, Yeah. So, so I would, I would definitely say, 
if you point to like an independent film, there's certainly more than like uh, like uh, who I love, like a Don Coscarelli. Right. I think Sam Sam has been more influential than than even Don to to like low budget uh, you know genre filmmakers. Yeah. Right. But Sam, I think the closest we got was a simple plan. If you've ever seen a simple plan, I think. It's yeah, of course I've seen it. No, and and uh, the gift you got you got to yeah. give him credit for that. That is And I wrote him a le- I wrote him a letter after the first Spider Man uh-huh. because I felt I felt that when when I read about not that I know shit, but it was like when I read about all the studio what they what they tried to force on him to put the guys to play Spider-Man, like Jude Law to play Spider-Man. Yeah. The, the casting of Tobey Maguire, that made the, that made the movie. Right. You know, whatever the, whatever the promise the movie had, Tobey Maguire was perfect for it, you know. And he wrote me a very nice little letter back, and it was, it was, it was very cool, very cool. Well, it's, it's uh, I so we've been lucky enough to meet a lot of our idols in this, and he's the one we we once again know people who know people, and I've never actually got to meet him. So yeah, or talk to him. Him and Joe Dante. <laughs> him and Joe Dante. <laughs> I, 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 I haven't I haven't seen him in forever, but but um, uh, Bob Morowski, if you know that name, I oh, hope you do. Yeah. Yep. Um, he, we've worked together several times, and uh, uh, he's a friend of mine, and uh, so he's kind of like the intermediary. Oh really? <laughs> he was Sam, you know, kind of thing. But uh, but the last time I saw Sam was at a screening. This will date me because uh, I've been in LA on and off a long time. Um, the screen uh, 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 preview kind of screening, rough cut screening of uh, uh, oh, what was it? Uh, I'm blanking on the name now. The the thing he did, the, the uh, Gypsy Curse. Oh, hell, drag me to hell! Drag me to hell! Yeah, drag me to hell! Drag me to hell! Alice, Alice and Loman, that's what I was trying to think of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, that, that's the last time I, I saw Sam. Okay. James, go ahead. Uh, real, uh, I, I just wanted to bring up one other thing. So you, um, I, uh, dating myself here. Um, we know you're older shit. Go ahead. Yeah. Now, I Answer used to. Answer the fucking uh, question, James. The guy's, the, the guy's busy. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the support, guys. Anyway, uh, you worked on a video game that was never officially released because the Atari Jaguar well, sunk. Well, hopefully check check 2020 new releases for that too because I'm getting that thing out. Awesome. Uh, what what the, the, what happened with that and, and and Bob Morowski the guy I was talking about the editor of it. Um it was a it was a video game in in the very quick window of uh these things were like Basically, interactive movies. Yes, which, of, of which there were very few. Yeah, uh, I, Bob, I was a big Bob fan Gale, of Bob yeah. Gale did one. That it was like a short film that played theaters. That had Christopher so, Lloyd in it, didn't it? Yes, yes, it did. It, it was Mister Something. I want to say. I've or never something. seen. I've never seen it, Jeff. I've, I've, just, I've, 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 I've never. I've never seen it either. Never seen it either. But it was like one of those things where you're watching a movie and. And, and something comes up on the screen. Should uh-huh. the should, should should he go out the door? Should he stay in the room, or should he uh, take the elevator? You know, and 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 people would press, you know, one, two, three, whatever, and and the majority would rule, and he would go in the elevator, whatever. So that that's the that's the 
mindset behind this movie. But then what happened was it was it was done for the Jaguar system of Atari. Uh-huh. And right when we finished the game, and and, and the process was it was it was it was unbelievable. And the, the flow chart and all this stuff, it was just it, 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 it now would be hilarious to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so the Christmas sales of the Jaguar gaming system were so abysmal <laughs> that basically they canceled. That they said, "Okay, stop." Even though the that the game was basically finished, they said, "Stop," and the Jaguar system is now gone. Uh-huh. So, so for about six months, eight months, almost a year. That was it. Then I get a phone call out of the blue from one of the producers saying, look, we've just negotiated the rights to make a feature film version of the game. Yeah. Uh, well, what do you think? And we, yeah, we can make a feature version. We got all this. And so, so, so Brian Muir, who wrote Critters, it was mm-hmm. a, a good friend of mine, and and myself, we wrote the feature version of it, combining, using stuff in different ways and combining all the footage we had and all this stuff. And then we shot like eight more days, 10 more days um, in 96. Mm-hmm. We finished editing at like the end of 96. And then all of a sudden we get a phone call from the, another producer of the of the movie movie, not the game, but the movie, yeah. and he said, "I've just sold it to South Korea, and they want a 35 millimeter print." And we shot in 16 millimeter, mm-hmm. wow. so so that's fine, it's good. So that that meant we needed to cut negative at mm-hmm. that time. We needed to cut negative. So Bob found this negative cutter. That that, that that he'd worked with before, and uh, they were good specialists in 60-millimeter negative cutting. Um, so what happened was that person or that company got busy around that time and farmed it out to another company. And they completely, at the time, and now it's not as big a deal, but at the time... They completely botched the negative cut, meaning they they had fingerprints with glue all over the negative, that kind of stuff, you know, and uh-huh. and mis mis some miscuts, but mostly like uh, fingerprints on glue and that that kind of stuff, just schmutz, if you will. And um, so they ended up taking an insurance settlement on the negative cut. And they made more money. The producers made more money right. doing that than they ever would have made doing the movie, you know, finishing the movie. So so the movie was, you know, it was finished but unfinished. Mm-hmm. So and that, and that stuck in my craw for 20, now 22 years. <laughs> and because there, was so, no, because there was so much effort at the end of this thing, even, even though it's a cheesy, you know, James Bondian kind of, uh, thing, um, just the effort that, that was put into work and, and for everybody, it's like to go for nothing. You know, that, that was the first time that ever happened to me. So 
the producer finally, one of the producers said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to give you all the footage and give you all the stuff, do with it with what you will. And so, so that's, an, that's my other goal for 2020 is getting this out just as a, as, as a, I mean, I was thinking about shooting a little wraparound with Timothy Bottoms, who was the star of it, uh, now 20-something years later, and bookending it uh, with, with something to make it more contemporary, because it deals with a, it's a obviously a pre-9-11 thing, mm-hmm. but it deals with a terrorist plot uh, to poison the water in uh, Los Angeles. And... Um, and there, obviously now there's no mention of 9/11 or whatever, so it's a, a completely on that on, on a uh, topical level, it's completely obsolete. Yeah. You know, but but if you bookend it as a flashback, then it could be a little more contemporary, or or you could just release it as here's an unknown drive-in kind of movie that uh, never was seen. Well, I, so I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with it. I, I, I was just fascinated by it because I think it is, you know, there's almost an oral history project there just looking at the fact. Oh, that, oh, oh there is. Oh, for sure. Oh, and, and and I find out later that it's like the one of the producers was married to the daughter of one of the heads of Atari, and that's how he got the job. I mean, it's stuff that you never know. I mean, I mean, when you first when you get the stuff. Get the job. So, so yeah. There's a lot of backstory to it that 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 that, that would be hilarious now. Um, but but the, but, the, but there was a brief period of time, in like right around '94, '95, that dealt with interactive movies. Yeah, and, the, uh, the, uh, the the one that I became obsessed with during that time period was a game called D, which involved cannibalism and all that stuff. And and now of okay. course, those don't happen in games. But that's what, so but, what but, I saw. But, but, but was it were there footage i mean like film footage that was manipulated or, or uh, yeah, what, what it, was what was the game it was there there was occasionally like it would be more i guess traditional video game when they first started doing cd games so you could do it and it would cut to it would play a bit of actual recorded film but then it had the computer okay. animation in between oh, okay, okay gotcha. so okay, anyway, this, I, this one was the, the big thing about this one was there was no um, the, the, the choice density was high, and the um, uh, there, there was there was a technology where there wasn't uh, a big interruption when you made the choice. Yeah, that that was like the big thing about this one. I was just saying that would have been better because I I can remember waiting like okay I made a choice let's wait thirty seconds while it loads. Yeah, no, this was like essentially not exactly but essentially instantaneous. Yeah. You make the choice and it goes, um, but the choices were ridiculous too. It, it literally was walk down the hallway or should I should I go <laughs> through this door? You know, kind of thing. So let's talk real quick. Ninety four, ninety five. You were busy. You were busy, busy working because you also done a movie in ninety five. Well, it came out in ninety five that I think a lot of people talk about still, and it's pretty popular. Not of the Scarecrow. No, actually, that came out in. There was a big, big because companies went out of business and blah blah blah. But there was like uh, we shot it in '94, finished it in, in early '95, and it ended up uh, coming out I think officially like in January of '96. 
Oh, really? Because uh, IMDb on, on video, on video, somewhere around there. I mean, yeah. maybe the cable before the video, but it was like it was, there was a long lag between when we finished the movie, I mean, delivered the movie, and then it came out. I remember that. But but no, thank you for saying that because that that's a movie again. Bob Morowski was the editor of that and. Uh-huh. Uh, did a great job and wonderful to work with, but that was a movie that nobody saw. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it was like you put all this effort in something, and then like every every company that touched it went out of business. You know, it was like because it was like the um, Barry Bernardi and Steve White had a company together that went out. They 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 were kind of this is the last project they were going to do together, and they 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 went their separate ways. Then it was like. Uh, spelling had it, and they they folded into Republic, uh-huh. and Republic Pictures ended up putting it out. But then they changed management before it came out, so it was it was just a it was like everyone that touched it either got fired or or, or went or went belly up. What do you so think? it was kind of it was, it was an orphan movie uh, for the company when it when it came out. It was like there was nobody behind it or anything, you know. Right. Well, by the time it came well, out, found it over the years because of video and DVD. I mean, at the time because of video. Well, no, it, well, it, never, it didn't come out on DVD until many years later. It just came out on DVD. I don't know, five years ago or something, oh. six years ago. Well, I see. Uh, because it never, it never had come out on VHS. Came out in '96. Mm-hmm. Then, then nothing. Then in 2013 or 14, uh, Olive Pictures. Uh, which which got all these films from Republic, um, put it out on DVD and Blu-ray. Okay. So there was a long period, you know, I mean, I mean almost a twenty-year period. That, that there was no, and and it never. I don't, I, to my knowledge, anyway, I don't think it ever really. It was never a cable staple or anything like that. I mean, and, and I never saw it on. Because I've met a lot of people who are fans of that. Yeah, movie. a lot of people talk. I mean, Night of the Scarecrow has a very huge cult following. I, I, I that 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 is new to me. Uh, but really? but really? I, it's good, good news to me. But but yeah, because uh, it has a hell of a cast too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I agree. With that. I mean, Gary Lockwood's in it, and yeah. Bruce Glover, and uh-huh. Anyway, but 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 that that was kind of thing. You put your effort in the movie. And again, nothing really comes of it. And, and certainly, career-wise, for me, n- nobody saw it. Nobody, nobody, nobody cared. So, and then I'm not, you know, it doesn't make me sad or anything. But it's just, it's just one of those movies that was an orphan movie when it when it first got released, and there was no, there was no executive behind it or or a company pushing it really. And I thought the the initial release, the artwork was way inferior to the uh, original artwork I'd seen, yeah. which, they ended up, which they ended up using on the, the DVD and the Blu-ray. Yeah. I'm just amazed that you would, this seems like it's kind of the first you're hearing about that, that it has that big of a following. Cause I mean, no, I, 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 no, I can tell, I can tell you, I uh, almost never, uh, all, I'm, I'm, not, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I'm not really, I've never talked to anybody that really, Asked me about that movie because I want to. I want to say it was, but you know, are you familiar with BuzzFeed? It's a website. Yeah, you, yeah, I know the, the, Yeah, I want to say there was an article. There was an. There was one of those. They do like twenty-five underrated horror movies or twenty-five comedies, 
And I think that's on the list. I think so too. We we'll we'll see if we can find well, that. It may, well, it might, it might be Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, which is always confused with it. You know, which is a good which is a good. I, movie I know what you're talking about, Dark Knight. No, 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 no. no. Which also has a remake. But anyway, moving right along. But, anyway, but no, but but if, if I'm very happy about it. I mean, that's you know, that's that's great. So I know you probably get a ton of questions about Leatherface, and I'm not going to ask you. I, I, and I, we've been on for almost two hours and I'm, by the way, could talk to you all night, but I just wanted to make sure about your timing and, and, and if you start. No, I'm fine right now, but, but I know you, you got, you, you want to cut oh, it off. Us. It's not us. It's all about you. No, we've cleared the night just for you, sir, actually. So we can go as long as you want to, but I, I do want to be conscientious of your time, but I do have some few questions, not necessarily the question I have for Leatherface is just how big of a dick is Mick Strawn? And uh, well, I've worked with well, speaking of Night of the Scarecrow. Uh, Nick is, uh, and I, I, I gotta say, I, I can't even joke about it. You the guy, no, by the way, no, 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 I'm telling you, the guy is great. I mean, I mean, because he, he is exactly what you'd want. He was very supportive of me on Leatherface, and beyond talent, he's got a great personality and. He's funny, and we, which I think a sense of humor for a film to be on a film set is a must. Nice. And uh, because so much stuff happens that's unbelievably stupid or uh, hilarious or whatever, and, and you want you want someone to be able to, to work with you on that. But but no, but Mick is is, is incredibly talented, but also. Um, I mean, especially not in the Scarecrow too, because he he had, he had less money and less uh, staff, et cetera. He's a roll up your sleeves guy, yeah, and that that's, guy. that's yeah. what you want. That's what you want. I, let me because tell you. that's that's how you are. That that's how you have to make a movie on, on a on a lower budget. You can't you can't. No one can sit there saying, "Oh, well, it's not my department or whatever." You know, no, you have to all. You're making the same movie, and you're, and you're, and you're you know, the director's doing it, the, the production designer's doing it. You're making the same movie, and 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 Mick was absolutely wonderful. And then the funny thing is, I have, I probably do have more memories. I have a lot of, I, mean, I have good memory, but but I have probably more memories of Mick on Night of the Scarecrow than Leatherface, yeah. um, because because a lot of stuff that Mick did on Leatherface was already done by the time I started on it. I started late on Leatherface. Oh, you really? know, because, no, because of, uh, I, repl I, I replaced another director, but the other director may not have been exactly hired. It was just a very strange experience uh, in the sense of how they made, how they did that movie in the pre-production phase. Yeah. Uh, because, because they, they'd gone through, they'd wanted other directors and, They'd gone through lists, and they never made a decision. They, they made a decision, but they never, according to Mick, which I just found out when I did his podcast, uh -huh. uh, they never actually hired the guy. They, they, but they had worked with the guy for, for like a month and a half or two months, and they never actually officially hired him. Hmm. And then he had to leave because he had a, uh, a commitment that he'd forgotten about or didn't, didn't talk about on a TV show. So he left, he left them kind of in the lurch or they left him or however it happened. So they were going, fuck, we got to get a director here right. <laughs> because we started shooting in about two and a half weeks. 
and, and and so that answer Jeff first on that. So so I, so in pre-production, I didn't. I, I had very little pre-production with Mick, um, but during production, I had a lot of experience with Mick. But on, on Night of the Scarecrow, it was much more uh, traditional. And in terms of, I probably had three or four or five weeks with Mick, uh, and it, it was wonderful to work with. I mean, just uh, and and did a hell of a job on that movie for for very little money and yeah. made it look like a much bigger movie. Well, and, and of course I'm being facetious, but don't tell him I said anything positive about him, but what little success we've had, there have been several people who have tried to take credit for it. Like that always happens. You know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. The uh, success has, what is it? Uh, something success has many fathers or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Success has many fathers. Failure is an orphan. And is an orphan is a bastard at best. Yes. So <laughs> what little success we've had, and it's by no means anything important, but I have to say, and don't tell him I said this, he may listen someday. It probably Mick is one of the top ones for that. Yeah. Uh, on he, uh, We met him at Scarefest a few years ago, and we've hit it off, and it's, it's weird. That's great. And I'm, I'm just so glad he's doing conventions now and, and, and meeting people that love his work because he was kind of the un, he and, and CJ oh, were kind of the, the unsung heroes of, of Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, the, the, the whole series, you know, I mean, uh, full, I mean, uh, among other things. And, uh, and, and, and it just, it, it's great to see him understand how much the, the people that admire the movies admire his work. Yeah. Well, I not, let's stop kissing his ass. And I want to ask you about a couple of, cause he'll just go to his head and he's, his head's big enough as it is. <laughs> I, a few more actors I want to read off here that you've gotten to work with. It just amazed me. Okay. Gary, Lock, Gary Lockwood is one of the huge John Hawks, Carolyn Williams, but no, John Hawk, John Hawks, love him, love him, love him. Um, John, John Hawks, they just, they love, I just love, love him, love him. And and we've almost worked together a couple more times. It's just a timing thing. He was going to be in Stranger Darkness, but yeah. it was a, a timing thing. But, uh, um, and I will say this, and hopefully he will he would agree with it. Uh, I will work with him again, yeah. uh, because I, he was just he was just a really cool guy to work with. He's a fantastic back, guy. back then, back then, you know. So let me ask you: Did you have any inkling that he or Vigo were going to be as big as they became? No, no, Vigo, you knew already because Vigo had a weird. And like the agent and stuff, it was it was a miracle he did that movie. Uh, yeah. Truly, yeah, because he was turning down stuff at that time, and and uh, it was just it, that that was it. The other case, John Hawks was bad timing. Vigo, it happened to be good timing for him, and and uh, it all worked out. So yeah, but but yeah, you knew, you definitely knew he was going to be. I mean, I mean, it, I mean. Nominated for Academy Awards, I don't know, but but you knew he'd be a, a force in the uh -huh. industry, or, or or could be if he wanted to be. Yeah, you know he, he had he had very interesting looks, incredible work ethic, and, uh, and and just a great guy to work with. I mean, he was just you would give him some suggestions, he would run with them, he would have his own suggestions. I mean, just just a what you want, at least what I would want out of an actor, a guy with his own ideas. And then also would take ideas that I have and kind of coalesce them and never attitude, always showing up and ready to work, you know, and, and no, no, uh, affectation at all. 
known as long as you know, marks. You know, and they're just just there for the work, mm-hmm. and then that's that's the one. As a, at least a, for me as a director, that's that's a, those are the guys that you do to kill to work with. Yeah. You know, so one I, and I. I'm sorry, I feel like I've taken it away from the other two, but the one last movie I want to ask you about is Stepfather 2. I, mm-hmm. I would say that right, right off the bat, Terry O'Quinn is exactly that kind of actor I just described. Yeah. And and he was just, it was an honor to work with him and, and a blessing and a uh, education to work with him. Yeah. It was one of those movies that I saw. I'm 41 years old, so I was at the age where I was watching it way too young inappropriately, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> broken Home, it was great. I saw that before I ever seen the original, and I still prefer okay. it. And it's, it's, uh, it was a staple of something. For some odd reason, I just, at that age, I probably watched that movie way too many times mm-hmm. when I was young, and I, I enjoyed it so <laughs> Well, I, I would say, not that your parents would say it, but I, I, I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. <laughs> you know? I, I love hearing that. Well, good. I'm glad you love hearing it. I have spent some time with Meg Foster. It, was she just as interesting to work with then as she has been for me to talk to and have to do panels with later? No. Yes, and, and, and I, I love her. And, uh, and and for me, she's even, she's gotten even more interesting uh, <laughs> The older she's gotten, I just mean, interesting again, in a slightly bizarre there, way, sir. <laughs> no, no, well, well, that's what I mean by interesting. Yeah. She, here's the thing, and you can't say this about every actor. There is no one like Meg Foster. Yeah, no, there no, is no one. No. There is no one like Meg Foster. She is completely unique, and she's got training. And so, so again, she would be someone I would love to work with on it, like the Andy Robinson thing on a different kind of movie now, uh, she would be, she, she, she's incredibly compelling to watch. You can't take your eyes off. Agreed. You know, and, 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 and not that I'm a, you know, Rob Zombie fan, quote unquote, but I'm just so happy that he cast her in, in several movies. So I mean, it just, cause, cause she should work every day. Agreed. She she is an interesting person to try to interview on a stage. Oh, I I, I can't imagine. I, I, <laughs> it, it, I can't it. imagine that. Some, um, some people are. Man. So I've done this quite a few times. Some most people are easy. Most people, it's it's people ask me, well, how uh, well how do you get into it? And I say, well, it's it's the same way people say, well, how do you get into directing or acting? I could tell you how I did it, but it wouldn't work for you. You've heard that story before. Sure. Right? No, no, no. In other words, everyone's path is different. I mean, yeah, yeah I, mean, I can tell you my path, but that wouldn't necessarily work. That wouldn't right. necessarily exactly. work for you, right? So what I, I <laughs> she she wasn't bad. I've had a couple that have been bad, but it it's uh, it was challenging. Is a good word to use. <laughs> challenging. No, no. I I I because I'm sure she went off in tangents or whatever. Challenging. Yeah. Yes. I I can see that, but no, but I I love her and. I, I worked with her again on a, on a movie in like '97 um, called Spoiler, which is a strange little movie. Uh, mm-hmm. But but it, she was she was I mean she was I enjoyed working with her almost more on the the, the Spoiler movie than on Stepfather Two because Stepfather Two she wasn't my choice. It wasn't my first choice, I should say. Who was your first um, choice? 
Well, I mean, for the budget and everything, you have to understand the budget and everything. So it, it was a very, it was a very low budget movie at the time. I mean, for that company at the time, and I, I wanted Kay Lentz, who uh, I don't know if you know her. She had done no. Uh, she had, look her up. I mean, she's okay. interesting, interesting actress. But but she was more the physical type that that the stepfather would have gone for. Uh-huh. Kind kind of a, a, a all American, sexy but all American kind of where Meg is a little more exotic, a little more yeah you know I mean, I mean not just the eyes but just in general I mean you know so um, so that was the first time in my in Stepfather Two was the first real professional movie I ever did in the sense that it was hired to make yeah. as opposed to making myself so. So that was the first time negotiating executives and and you know people questioning your choices and all that kind of stuff. So they they felt Meg was a uh, uh, more uh, classy. That was literally the word they used, a classier name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so and Meg, had, I think she had just turned forty. I want to say. Right, like right around the time we made the movie. So the first day of filming, I remember this. Like she wouldn't come out of the trailer for like three hours because <laughs> she, she was like worried about the makeup and the makeup artist was working with her. And you know, so that it wasn't it wasn't anything unusual for for an actress, you know, at that time. But mm-hmm. but it was that that was why, and I, I wasn't savvy enough to really pick up on her insecurity. Right. And, and that, to help yeah, her with that, that first day. Yeah. You know, I really, I really wasn't, you know, and I should have been, but I wasn't. Well, and and I was... uh, Go ahead, so, 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 so that, that kind of, I think we started on the wrong foot. We, we ended up in a, in a good place, but I think I started on the wrong foot with her, but, um, but, but, but I, I have nothing but love for her and nothing but respect for her talent. I, I, I loved her in, so many movies, and, and I knew her work really well before I did that movie. Um, I, did, I just felt she was kind of wrong for the role, right. um, and and maybe I wasn't uh, as as good a director to disguise that mm-hmm. uh, feeling. Uh, maybe she picked up on that feeling the first couple of days. You know, I, I, I don't know, but 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 anyway, it all worked out, and. Uh, um, but but she was she, she's a handful uh, in 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 that sense. I mean, where it's like if you say certain things to her that either doesn't doesn't compute or whatever, then it's like it's going to be a forty five minute conversation. Yeah, no matter what, to get her back to you know, and and that's that's fine. I mean, that's that's you know, a lot of actors are like that. Yeah. So let and, me. Just... Uh, oh, sorry. But no, but anyway, but I have nothing but positive things to say about that movie in the sense that um, I think for me the 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 joy certainly was more Terry Quinn was was just I, I can't I can't tell you how wonderful he was because I was a new guy and he could have come on that movie and been a total dick yeah. because he knew. Yeah, I mean, intellectually, you would know the movie doesn't exist without it. Mm-hmm. You know, so he he's the eight hundred pound gorilla. Yep. So whatever he wants, he can make happen. 
and or just be a total dick if he, if he wanted to. And and not that he could be that way on, you know, the Rocketeer or something. You know, if this is the movie he could have been an asshole on. Mm-hmm. And he was he was exactly the opposite. And uh, couldn't have been more supportive of me. Couldn't have been more uh, immersed in the in the movie as it was. And because he knew it was like okay, it's a lower budget sequel to a. A movie I made, and you know, and you know, Anthony Perkins here or whatever. You know, he was always you know kind of concerned about that, and um, but he never let it show, and and he, and he was totally committed to the performance, and uh, and and, and I, I I have uh, nothing but uh, admiration for him, but also um, I, it's a big debt um, because he could have made my life miserable, and and. You know, and other actors would have, you know, they would have been like bullies, you know, right. and because I would have been the guy that would have been bullied because I'm a first time director, you know, unknown director in this in this capacity. Right. And he was he was exactly the opposite and, uh, and just a great guy to work with. And and I've, I've talked to him throughout the years and, and just again, he's another guy. You know, I mean, there are so many on the list, but he, he's definitely another guy that I really hope to work with again because uh, um, he, he's wonderful. And, and, he's just, and he's just so gratifying to see him on Lost and yeah. uh, winning the Emmy. And uh, uh, and I, I think, you know, there's a, with the right role, um, he's, he's for sure has the uh, ability to win an Academy Award or whatever, whatever great prize that you, that you want to deign. He he's got he's got that talent. Great. And, uh, he's, awesome. he's he's just uh, I can't I can't speak of him highly enough. Truly. So, speaking of working with actors or directing actors, um, you mentioned the movie Spoiler. So I want to talk about how was it directing Jeffrey Combs, who's a, like a oh no, no Combs was, was again one of those guys where you give him an idea, he takes it and and runs with it and. Uh, I've known him throughout the years a little bit. Not, I can't say I know him, know him, but but I've hung out with him a little bit. And and a friend of mine, obviously more than a friend of mine, a great friend of mine, uh, Darren Scott, who produced the uh, Whisper to Scream with mm-hmm. my brother Bill, um, and produced Stepfather Two uh, with my brother Bill, mm-hmm. um, has worked with him like five times. So if you're a Jeffrey Combs fan, you've got to see the movies he did with Darren Scott. Starting with um, uh, Caught Up. Caught and if you've up. never seen that, you've got to see Jeffrey Combs in Caught Up. I thought I'd seen Jeffrey Combs in everything. Yes, sir. I thought I'd seen every and Jeffrey Combs movie ever. I no, 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 Jeffrey no. And this, is, um, this is a, a different role for him. And he, because <sighs> Darren, Darren had worked with him on Love and a 45, directed by Carl Thompson. That is which what, is a great role, great role for him. Yeah, that, and so, so Darren and Darren directed his first movie in 90, 97, came out in ninety eight, uh, and he wanted Jeffrey in it, and so he plays this. You've got to see it. I mean, if you're if you're a Combs fan, you got to see it. But uh-huh. he's worked with him subsequently. Did Dark House with him and some other some other movies too. Anyway, um, Combs was was great to is great to work with. Not was is great to work with, and um, and just did did a wonderful job. He was, I didn't get a chance to edit the movie because I was I was kind of let go of that movie 
right after shooting. Oh. Because the editor the editor was a girlfriend of the producer and the producer got back from Cannes and wanted he wanted to direct the movie, but he had to go to Cannes for business and um therefore he ended up um kind of directing it post. Uh huh. Which is unfortunate. <clears throat> Yeah. So I've got ten percent battery here. Oh now, yeah. So well, well, as we quick uh, so, ask me ask me good questions real quick. No. Well, we'll we'll, we'll wrap up. Do you have anything else? I, you know, I, there's, there's just one more actor that I was kind of curious about. You're working with him um, on Johnny Misto. You worked with, uh, and I he's kind of unknown, but he shouldn't be Michael Ansara. No, he's passed away now. But uh, Michael Ansara, he, he was big character actor. Throughout uh, probably he had forty or fifty year career. And to our uh, great, to our uh, wonderful. We know him mostly as um, he was Victor Freeze in Batman the Animated Series. Yes, you know exactly. But he also, I mean, like genre wise, he did did a movie called The Manitou. If you ever saw that, yeah, uh, I've seen it with Tony Curtis. And and uh, he, he, I think I want to say he's, he's in uh, Grizzly too. I think. Hmm. I could be wrong on that, but um, no, Day of the Animals, Day of the Animals. He, he did two movies with William Girdler, but but uh, Michael Ansara was great. He was just a wonderful guy. He used to be married to uh, Barbara Eaton um, hmm. years ago, and he he did uh, the, the the original film, Voice of the of the Sea, Irwin Allen. He had he had an amazing career, um, oh. and he was just a absolutely wonderful professional and just a fun guy to work with. I, 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 that's another case where it's an honor to have worked with him. Oh, you know, sure. truly, truly. All right. So before we wrap up, what I want to ask you is what projects, what do you want to talk about that you got coming up? So yeah, a couple of things. I, uh, I'm working on a script and finishing script, a uh, horror film, first horror film I've done in, in years um, with a, a talented writer from Florida named Jonathan Dornellis. Um, we're working on this. We've been working on it for a year now, and um, we're gonna we're gonna get it made in, in 2020. It's okay. a, uh, a, a it's a horror film that kind of does what what Get Out did for racism. This kind of does for health uh, uh, health insurance. Right. So uh, now, when you do this, are you gonna shoot it in Georgia? Yeah, it, 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 Georgia and Florida. Okay. Um, no, the reason we're asking is because we're just going to go ahead and say when you need someone to just be a flunky on the set, you need to call the boneheads because we need okay. to come out and okay. we'll take a week. There you go. I mean, we have professional jobs, but fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Fuck it. Let's no, go. There you go. You, at least, as, you know, you do the uh, Curtis Armstrong thing and say, sometimes you got to say, what the fuck? What the <laughs> fuck? The risky business thing. Absolutely. I, yeah, exactly. I make I make a fine cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, and I, I will drink I will drink a fine cup of coffee. Yeah. Mick will pick us up on the way as he's leaving Nashville because he could be the production designer and run. No, no, he, you know, he would no, on that movie he would be the production designer for sure. This Absolutely. is totally in his I'm telling you, it's totally in his wheelhouse. Totally. So when when you're totally. When you're aggravated in the middle, in between, because you're just not getting what you want, you can just walk over to us and we'll say some goofy shit and make you laugh. We can do this. Which is, which is, that, that is, a, 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 you need that on a film for sure. <laughs> yeah, you just need to let us know, Jeff. All right. So you've got that coming out. Right, what? 
Go ahead. Yeah, you got that. And uh, I'm writing this uh, comedy that uh, hopefully I'll, I'll get made too. That uh, it's, it's it's another thing very close to my heart. So uh, um, so 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 definitely you have. It, in the words of every supervillain, you have not heard the last of Jeff Burr. Great. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. We're going to kill the recording right Okay. Here. Well, hey, well, thank you guys too, man. I appreciate it. And it's been hilarious and great, great fun to talk to you. Uh-huh. <laughs>